BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Thursday, September 21st, 2023. Alistair Crook joins us uh, now from the hills outside of Rome. Alistair, always a pleasure, uh, my dear friend. Uh, We have a clip of President Biden at his best or at his worst, depending upon your perspective, uh, at the UN uh, earlier this week. But before we run uh, the clip, what is your perception about how his fierce anti-Russian, fierce hatred of Russia, monomaniacal blaming of the world's ills on Russia message came across to the international diplomatic community in New York earlier this week? I think it came across very badly. I think it came across badly because um, people don't see Russia in that way. I mean, people asked, you know, well, why isn't uh, why isn't Europe got its weapons, its armament, its NATO ready um, for Russia? The reason is because we weren't looking for and expecting a confrontation with Russia because we didn't see it. It was only a little while ago, after all. I mean, I remember going attending those meetings with. President Putin at the time. And uh, all of the big meetings were about greater Europe. Vladislavstok down to Lisbon. And he was a great enthusiast for that. And many Europeans were too. It now seems like a a era, a different era. But I mean, that was the case. I mean, even a, a few years ago when I went to those, some of those meetings, now it's very different. So I don't think there's sort of really the sort of feeling that, you know, Russia per se, uh, it's part of Europe. It's always been part of Europe. It was very Europeanized part of Europe. Look at St. Petersburg. Was there a time when Putin wanted Russia to join the EU or even to join NATO for yes, whatever there was. reason? Yeah. No, he wanted, he thought that Russia should be part of a greater Europe, and that it should play a central role in Europe as part of Europe. I mean, this was very clear. I mean, I was at those meetings when it it took place. Wasn't the G7 once the G8 and Russia was an essential part of it? Of course. And it's always been nonsensical uh, to believe, you know, that somehow Russia is not going away. It's our neighbor. It's a big and powerful state. It has always been a great power. It will continue to be a great power. 
uh, and uh, to be at odds with Russia makes no sense. And so, I mean, Russia has changed from the days when it was extremely Europeanized during the, you know, from Peter the Great times onward with St. Right. Petersburg. But it, it's not, it's never been until now anti-European. But the propaganda about um, Russians and about kicking out their uh, sportsmen, their artists, their tennis players and everything has has turned Russia to being very hostile. They were, or they've been so surprised. They say that, you know, we just couldn't imagine that the Europeans hated as much, hated us as much as it seems that they really did. And that's been a shock. And it's going to take some time to to change it. I mean, we're going to. It's going to be a matter of years. You're not going to change that in in a flash. It's a great shame. Uh, Gary, play. Um... Cut number four. Here's uh, Joe Biden at his best or his worst. Tell me what you think of this. And we strongly support Ukraine in its efforts to bring about a diplomatic resolution that delivers just and lasting peace. But Russia alone, Russia alone bears responsibility for this war. Russia alone has the power to end this war immediately. And it's Russia alone that stands in the way of peace because the Russia's price for peace is Ukraine's capitulation, Ukraine's territory, and Ukraine's children. Russia believes that the world will grow weary and allow it to brutalize Ukraine without consequence. But I ask you this, if we abandon the core principles of the United States to appease an aggressor, can any member state in this body feel confident that they are protected? If we allow Ukraine to be carved up, is the independence of any nation secure? I'd respectfully suggest the answer is no. We have to stand up to this naked aggression today and deter other would-be aggressors tomorrow. That's why the United States, together with our allies and partners around the world, will continue to stand with the brave people of Ukraine as they defend their sovereignty and territorial integrity and their freedom. Do you think anybody in that room was persuaded by that? In that room, no. There weren't that many people actually in the room either for listening for, to Zelensky's speech. Um, it was really quite remarkably empty, but I don't think so. My sense is that that speech in a way was a sort of the justification for the domestic um, U.S. audience. Uh, it said nothing in geopolitical terms at all. I mean, it was good boilerplate stuff. I mean, saying, you know, oh, we stand, we can't allow, you know, this country to be put upon like this. But it was it was pretty meaningless. It had no substance. It had nothing in it in a geopolitical and geostrategic way at all. So I think it was probably intended to be, he's under a lot of pressure in the, United, in the US itself at the moment. I mean, political pressure, pressure to go. And I think this was sounded to me like a very defensive speech, but aimed not at the practicalities, aimed more at saying his piece to the American public. Whether they believe it or not, it's for you to judge. But he, he is clearly a captive of the neocons. I mean, most American uh, presidents would have some sort of, I don't want to use the word olive branch, but some sort of sense of diplomacy to them. I mean, this is not 
FDR during World War II talking about Hitler and uh, and Japan. This is uh, an American president who's supposed to be the leader of the Western world, and he, he sounds like a petty neighborhood thug. It stands in great contrast. I think it was uh, JFK in one of his speeches, but this is diplomacy. And, and he said, and this was sufficient, he just said, you know, we do understand the great sacrifices that Russia made in, in the Great Patriotic War and the other and the Second World War. Now that was sufficient. It showed you had at least some sort of empathy and understanding. And diplomats should do something like this. Biden is doing the opposite. It's just demonization of Russia and saying it's an aggressor. I don't think it gels because, uh, you know, I, I think people know enough about Russia not to see it in this way. And they recall, right. you know, this is very new suddenly to change it and it's a Hitler. I mean, it's nonsense. But um, this has been the narrative. It precludes, it forecloses on negotiation, which I think it's intended to do by him. He doesn't want negotiation. He doesn't want a settlement, a political settlement there, because he wants it to continue and to try and bring about some weakening of Russia. It won't do that. It will fail. Here's um, President Zelensky. And in light of what you just said, uh, Alistair, I'm wondering if what we will soon hear him say, what he said at the UN, the cameras don't pan to show how empty. We heard reports as well about how empty the General mm. Assembly was, which is the way diplomats express mm. an opinion of you. They don't stand up or turn their back. They just don't show up. Um, wondering if the statement we're now about to hear had only two ears as its goal, Joe Biden. But you let me know, you let us know what you think. This is uh, President Zelensky uh, at the UN. There's a lot of clips. This is the most incendiary one. Listen carefully, if you would, to the last two words that he uses, dirty bombs, cut number five. Many times the world has witnessed Russia using energy as a weapon. Kremlin weaponized oil and gas to weaken the leaders of other countries when they came to the Red Square. And now, now the threat is even greater. Russia is weaponizing nuclear energy. Not only it is spreading its unreliable nuclear power plant construction technologies, but it is also turning other countries' power plants into real dirty bombs. Into real dirty bombs, which is basically uh, the use of... Um, the remainder of a nuclear material on a regular bomb, which would, when the bomb explodes, it'll it'll spread low-grade nuclear material uh, in the area. There's no evidence it, doing uh, that. It's exactly. It's like sort of a, a cluster bomb, only you use radioactive material in it, and they spread that instead of little bullets. That's but in you, terms of the speech, but in I, terms I of think the speech itself, Alistair, the, the tone tell, and I, the message. I think it's very clear. Because we've seen this a bit. We've, I've been following some of the things that are coming out of Kiev and from his office. And they all acknowledge that he's got an uphill. I mean, he's desperate, really desperate. He's not even certain that there's going to be um, attack amps. It's still up in the air whether they're going to authorize those. It seems now there's reports in Fox News, your old channel, 
saying that they're probably not going to. He's not even sure he's going to get the money. And the office was saying, look, his, his, his strategy, therefore, is to use emotion, to try and use emotion to provoke more money, more weapons to come to Ukraine. And this is part of it, the sort of emotional sort of shock. What? Oh, gosh, you know, dirty bombs. I mean, whatever next? I mean, you know, you have the IEA actually at the Zaporizhia power plant, and they certify it's safe. They're there all the time monitoring right. it. So right. I don't think, you know, it, it's a strategy. He's always thought that he can use emotion to shift the United States. And I think probably he's come to the end of that course of being able to change the United States through emotion alone. Um, and this is why he's in such a desperate state. I don't think emotion is going to be enough to carry the Senate. I don't think emotion enough certainly is not going to carry Congress, which is much more skeptical. Even McCarthy is deeply skeptical. Uh, wants to see evidence, wants to see the receipts, wants to know what's happened to the money before. I think the, I think we're on the edge of a shift. I don't think it's shifted yet, but I think we're on the edge of the shift. But it looks as if Biden is going to dig his heels in, and his wife too, probably Jill, dig her heels in. He's <laughs> going to not leave quickly, and he's going to stick with the story for, for some time. But it seems increasingly, you know, the powers that be are turning against him, whether it is, you know, the, the deep state or whatever you want to call it. But the, um, the powers are turning against him. Are, are the powers that, that be, hmm. that are, in Ukraine turning against President Zelensky, stated differently, how precarious is his presidency and maybe even his life? Put it this way. I think that uh, <clears throat> were he to go back and, uh, you know, strike the general's pose and say, we're going to go on and we're going to take more and we're going to drive through the Russian lines, he would turn around and find that no one is following him. It's empty. No. The field is empty behind him. The army is just not going to go on with an offensive that has achieved nothing at all and has lost i mean it's decimated the army and i mean they think why are we doing this i mean what's the purpose are, are you going to wait till next year are you going to wait till the winter what are we going to gain then i think these are the some of the questions that he's going to be asked by um in congress by the republican party who will say okay why is it going to be different next year what's going to change that will make it less so and what are you going to do if there's a Russian offensive in the meantime? How are you going to defend yourself against that? Because all we see at the moment is that during this period of this sort of positional defensive war, Russia has been really turning out new drones, new, um, if you like, all sorts of uh, weapons, new aircraft, new tanks. I mean, and it has been stockpiling, as far as we can see, stockpiling against something. I mean, it's got, and it's got the troops on the borders that are ready, whether they plan something or whether they're just going to wait and see what happens in these weeks and whether Europe and the United States just lets him twist in the wind. That's Zelensky I'm talking about. Um, right. 
maybe they'll maybe they'll see but realistically the army is spent the ukrainian army is exhausted and so um i don't think that you know if he tries to he can actually you know push it on to another offensive i mean with what and with which men i mean if right. you don't have men you don't have an army you can't just buy a new army at um, amazon Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Here's uh, General Miley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, until the end of next week. You know, his his retirement is yeah, uh, coming. Uh, substantially misleading the American public on the depth or lack thereof of Ukraine penetration of Russian defenses. This is almost the opposite of what you've said and what you've said all of our uh, on-air folks who have their sources on the ground are saying the same thing. Gary, cut number two. Generally speaking, the Ukrainians have penetrated several layers of this defense. Uh, it is not 100% penetrated yet, uh, but they've penetrated several of the layers. And they're going very slow, preserving their combat power, uh, and very deliberately uh, through this uh, defensive belt that stretches the entire length and breadth of Russian-occupied Ukraine. So. Uh, for the critics that are out there, um, I would say that there's plenty of fighting weather left, there's plenty of combat power remaining, and the Ukrainians have absolutely no intent to stop. He's either uh, playing word games, misleading, or actively lying. It's deliberate obfuscation. He, he's sort of trying to um, fudge what is a defensive line. What we mean by the defensive line, and which nearly everyone means, is uh, is the Surovikin lines, the proper Russian defensive lines. None of those have been touched or breached in any way. Ahead of those is the sort of gray zone, which has some Russian trenches. This is the front line. They call it the kill zone, if you like, where they try and lure the Ukrainians into fire traps or into positions which are unfavorable and which they've been very successful in doing, they, they haven't taken anything significant. I saw a photograph just the other day, the Western press was announcing a Devka has been taken and that there were 3,000 uh, Russian forces circled, encircled him. And look at a picture of a Devka. It's, it's a tiny, it had a population uh, of 45 before the war. It's just a street with four or five houses one side, four or five the other side. 
but they're raised to the ground. There's nothing there. If uh -huh. you look at a Devka, it's just an empty field. And yet, you know, this has been a great success. This has been uh, an achievement. And that's the sort of achievement that has been touted. But I think everyone is getting the message. Everyone is wised up that this is just not, not true. Here's the, um, this, this further reinforces your view that uh, Zelensky is uh, rapidly approaching the status of an empty suit, or in his case, an empty uh, fatigue. Uh, here's the Polish president uh, yesterday in New York City. Now it's in Polish, so I will read uh, the subtitles, but his comparison of Ukraine to a, uh, a drowning swimmer in danger of bringing down those who have been dispatched to save him is very, very telling, particularly from what was formerly Ukraine's staunchest supporter, very threatening much. to bring troops on the ground. But let's listen to him, and then I'm uh, very anxious to hear your thoughts. Okay, we got to do this again because I didn't have my uh, microphone open. Run, run, uh, run, cut number one again, Gary. Sorry about that. Okay, it is like we are dealing with a drowning person. Anyone who has experienced rescuing a drowning person knows that he is extremely dangerous because he can pull you to the depths. He has unimaginable strength due to fear and the influence of adrenaline and can simply drown the rescuer. Okay, what kind of a greeting is that for President Zelensky as the two of them arrived in New York City earlier this week? I think it's very significant. The Polish prime minister also refused to meet Zelensky and he's announced that he's not sending any weapons to Ukraine. This is, if you like, the beginning of a turning point, I believe. And also the whole of the atmospheric um, for Zelensky's visit have been extremely negative um, for him. From the New York Times article on the day he arrived about um, that it was a Ukrainian missile that caused that mayhem in a marketplace, killing many um, Ukrainians, um, to the fact uh, uh, that Biden, in his speech, I mean, barely mentioned really Ukraine. It was really more about the, the global south. His speech was about it. There was a little reference, but as, as we've just discussed, it was mostly boilerplate stuff, nothing of substance, uh, uh, to the fact that he's not going to be granted an audience in, in Congress. He's going to meet with some people in the Senate um, to a very different atmosphere. I think he's got the message that the... You know, the, everything has changed. There's a completely different atmosphere from a year ago. And all of these signs, are, I think, are really important that something is, is shifting, that people are moving and that he is now 
in a desperate situation, trying to keep those two things alive. Um, I, he needs that, um, those billions from the United States, and he wants the promise uh, of these attack camps, even though the attack camps won't, I mean, won't change anything on the ground, uh, he wants those attack camps. So I, 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 think, uh, I think it's a completely different situation. And the Polish statement is crucial because they were the strongest backers. They were completely on side and supporting. They've even announced now that they're not going to provide any money or support to, um, to Ukrainian refugees inside Poland. They're on their own. No medical help, no education, no income. Uh, as well, and there are a lot of them. Um, uh, I don't know how, but well over a million, I think. So, I mean, it's a big blow, and that comes on the top of you know this very cold reception uh, that he received at the General Assembly. No one's there, desperate to shake his hand, to hug him, or anything. And it's a, uh, it, it's a, it's I think a turning point, beginning of a turning point. So how much longer will this have to go on before well, you, the utter intellectual uh, uh, failure of the neocons who thought they could weaponize Ukrainian ultra-nationalism to defeat a weak Russia, their words, weak Russia, in air quotes, has failed? I don't think very much longer. I mean, you know, there's no point guessing exactly days, but I'm talking... You know, by this end, by November, by the end of November, I think it's settled. I don't think there will be an army that will respond to his leadership if he tries to lead a, lead them into the, you know, the charge of the light brigade again. It's not going to be there. And I think that then we will wait and see uh, what is the Russian response. But you know, this is only one element in this war. Uh, and the bigger war, that's the small war. And the bigger war is the war that Russia is engaged in with China to try and nudge and shift and shove the West in, into giving up its um, exceptionalism uh, and agreeing to a new global order. And in that, they have the support of most of the, uh, the global South who also asking uh, for reform. They don't want to. They don't want to pull it down. They won't, don't want to destroy it, but they want to be on the voting panel. They want to be in the leadership, and they want to have a say in the policies of things like the IMF, the World Bank, the WTO, all these things. Uh, and it's it's taking on a new energy. Somehow, the Ukraine war has actually stimulated something that was, I think, very unexpected from the neocons. It's produced a new energy, a new sort of desire for change and for reform and to get away from the old um, paradigm uh, that has been so, um, if you like, constraining and constricting to the world. So I think, I, I, I think it will come to this um, in the very near future, but the longer term war will be longer. A diplomatic war, a political war, um, through the breaks and through economic measures as well a squeeze on, on the dollar um, by the uh, Russians and the Chinese uh, to increase inflation, to increase, if you like, the interest rates so that they have leverage to bring about these changes. 
Alistair Crook, always a pleasure, my dear friend. Brilliant and gifted analysis, and we are deeply grateful for your time and, and all your thoughts. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. There you have it, my dear friends. More as we get it. Um, Matthew Ho, Karen Kwiatkowski uh, coming up in just a little bit. Tell your friends, ask them to like and subscribe. What do we do at Judging Freedom? We look out for your liberty.